Brexit means Brexit. Brexit means Brexit. The British people have Brexit. voted to leave the European Union and their will must be respected. Now this is a once in a lifetime chance for us to take back control of this country, 350 million pounds yeah. a week. But if you believe you're a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of no Brexit nowhere. means Brexit. Brexit means the Brexit. The eyes to the right, 202. The nose to the left, 432. Order! 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 Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The question Thank is, you. will you campaign to remain or yeah. leave the EU if elected? Wouldn't you like to take this opportunity to apologise to the British Jewish community? What I'll say to, is this. Depends on the agreement you have with the European Can I explain Brexit. what we're trying to do? We Brexit. must stop Brexit. 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 Is the best deal. It's the only. I think Brexit's going to be a wonderful thing for your country. No one's got to include what Brexit is. So, what's happened to that David Cameron who called it on? Where is the geezer? Well, a report into alleged Russian interference in the Brexit, Brexit referendum. Why are you related Brexit? Well, I, I, Brexit? I think the, the, best, uh, the best answer I can, I can give is that of course I'd, be, I, I, uh, I'd rather be dead in a ditch. The eyes to the right, 438. The nose to the left. Not another. 20. Now MPs have voted to hold a general election on the 12th of December. 12th of December. 12th of December. 12th of December. The UK goes to the polls for a general election on December 12th. It's being set up as the most important in a generation, with its implications on what will happen with Brexit enormous. Many Brits living in Europe and EU citizens living in the UK are not able to vote. But that hasn't stopped EU-based groups of UK nationals and Europeans in Britain campaigning on behalf of those who will be most affected when the UK leaves the EU. On today's En Profundidad podcast, we meet the people campaigning for citizens' rights after Brexit. I really like the poem uh, that if you like I would you know I could read and um, this is a poem written by Saskia from the Netherlands it's called us and you we want to be rid of people like you just like you but not you you can stay your furniture your post welcome here we want to be rid of people like you just like you but not you you can pick my fruits you can pour my coffee. You can care for my mum. We want to be rid of people like you, just like you, but not you. So I will buy us a proper pint to celebrate our post-friendship. Can't you reach a state of post-hurt? That was Elena Remigi reading a poem called Us and You. It's from her project In Limbo which collates testimonies of EU citizens living in the UK and UK citizens living in the EU to show the real human impact of Brexit. We'll hear more from her later on. It's now December and Brexit is fast approaching. Boris Johnson has said if he wins the election next week, which it looks like he will, the UK will leave the EU in January. No extensions, ifs or buts. This will, of course, have far-reaching consequences none more so than for British people who have made their lives and homes in other EU countries. To find out what these will likely be, I spoke with some of the groups in Spain who have been working to safeguard the rights of Britons living in Europe over the past three years. 
people talk about immigration, you know, where they kind of demonize um, illegal economic immigrants. But a lot of us have been there. And um, it's going to, you know, it's, 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 it, 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 it basically, I've integrated into the country and I've, I've lived here for a long time. I got Spanish nationality this year. And, you know, I love it. I live in, in, in the mountains near Madrid. Um, and um, um, I think it's great. My name is Michael Harris and I'm, I'm chair of EuroCitizens and a member of the steering group of British in Europe. Well, I've lived in this country for years, since 1982, so, uh, you know, um, and I've worked for about 10 years in the British Council, teaching and then uh, in the Spanish University, the Universidad Alcalá de Henares. I've been writing textbooks, educational books and other books for the last sort of 30 years, basically, 25 years. So, Michael, what was your reaction to the outcome of the referendum in 2016? Well, I was gutted completely. I mean, I think a lot of people were, because basically I could see the effect it was going to have on, on us as, as a group of people and also on, on Britain, which is, you know, basically, basically going to have turbo decline. It's going to be a nightmare. And what we've seen in the last three years is nothing to what will happen when it, you know, things really actually start start biting so yeah no, that and that was one of the reasons why I decided to start Euro Citizens because I thought well you know well let's you know at least one can try and do something about it because it's it's well one of the worst things is you know when things are happening and you you um, you know and it's terrible and everyone moans and everyone gets depressed but actually doing something about it is actually quite therapeutic you know it's quite good for you you feel better if you've done something if you've gone a demonstration and shouted if you've had a lobbying activity you know at least you feel that you're 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 trying to do something and it and it's one way of dealing with it really can you explain to me a little bit about who euro citizens are well i mean basically we we're, we're we're non-party political and our, our brief is basically to, to defend citizens' rights for Britons in Spain and, and Spaniards in Britain. Our position on Brexit is that basically staying in the, the European Union is the best way of actually conserving our current rights as European citizens. And that any kind of Brexit scenario, we lose out. As soon as Brexit happened, we could see that <coughs> citizens' rights for Britons in Europe and Europeans in, in, in Britain were going to be really affected because our rights are based on European on the, being in the European Union. And as Britons in Europe, we with Brexit, we would no longer be European citizens and we would lose out in, in a big way. And this, this really affects people's lives, their futures, their families, their work, everything. And that, that's the thing that people don't think about. I mean, you know, politicians have, have, have guaranteed when, when Brexit happened, before Brexit happened, when Brexit happened, and for the last few years, politicians have been constantly going on about the fact that they want to guarantee our rights, but actually it's not true. That There are going to be, you know, with, with, with Brexit, there will be really, really important loss of lives, which will affect people in, and, and, and their families in a really big way. In Spain, there is a, a royal decree came out in March last this year, and that that is a contingency plan which protects our rights of Britons in Spain in the case of a No Deal Brexit. But it is dependent on reciprocity from the UK. So um, you know, we're again basically in that situation, we remain being bargaining chips, and that that's what's been happening basically for the last three and a half years. Uh, 
we we've Britons in Europe and Europeans in Britain have been you know political footballs kicked around in the negotiations. And in party politics, you can hear it in the elections, people going on about, you know, Europeans going over to Britain and taking jobs and, and, and using the health service, which is, you know, dog whistle politics. And uh, we haven't had the same stuff here. We haven't had the same sort of xenophobic stuff in, in Spain. So instead of taking us off the table at the beginning, what, what's happened is that we're, we're carrying on in there and we are our rights uh, and our futures are being... Are being you know, uh, banded around by by both sides. And what is your day-to-day work with the group like? Well, we're voluntary, so we our day-to-day work is our work, and we do it in our free time, basically. Um, you know, we're not a... F- we're an unpaid voluntary organisation. Um, in terms of our group, I mean, we're a small group. We're based in Madrid, but because of being based in Madrid, we've been doing a lot of the lobbying with government, with central government, We've been in uh, lobbying things in London at Westminster and met lots of people. We met Jeremy Corbyn when he came over earlier this year. We convinced him, we had a meeting at Eurocitizens and, and him and his team, and we convinced him to um, support the um, a motion, the only motion on Brexit that's been that's been passed in the, in the House of Commons, which was basically for ring-fencing of citizens' rights. So we, we've got that. And then we all, also organise meetings and, and events for giving information to people because... One of the problems is that um, people living in Spain really aren't aware of all the issues and of how it affects you. And it, it is actually quite complex, you know, how um, the, uh, a deal Brexit or a no-deal Brexit would affect everybody's rights. I mean, as I said, the, the, I mean, the best deal for us is actually to stay in the EU because we would maintain our current rights as EU citizens, which give us enormous amounts of, of rights. They, they give us mobility within the EU... You know, really, you people probably don't won't realise what happens until they lose those rights, because because um, um, you know, third country nationals are in a very different situation from EU citizens, and it's a lot tougher and a lot, you know, not not as easy. We work very closely with British in Europe, which is a coalition of groups of Britons in Europe, uh, and I'm on the steering group. Of, of, of British in Europe, so we have kind of regular meetings on online and uh, meetings together, and we do lobbying activities as well. So one of the things is, you know, we're actually part of British in Europe. British in Europe, in its uh, as well, being in British Europe, we we cooperate with um, the Three Million, which is the group of Europeans in the UK. And as Euro citizens, we we've been cooperating directly with with the three million and, and a group called Españoles en el Reino Unido. So we, you know, we, we work together pretty closely on that one. British in Europe is the main coalition of citizens' rights groups fighting to safeguard and ring-fence the rights of Brits living across the EU. Euro citizens are part of it, and so too are Brexpats Hear Our Voice. They're more international than Euro citizens, with members across the continent, but their founder also lives here in Spain. Hi, my name's Debbie Williams and I'm the founder of a, a group, a campaigning group called Brexpats Hear Our Voice. Um, I left school, I was brought up in Wales and I left school at 18 and I joined the Ro- Women's Royal Air Force. I've been in aviation more or less, you know, all my work in life. Um, but when my daughter was born, um, I continued to work till she was five and after that we started our European journey. And so we've been, you know, working throughout Europe, moving here and there, a little bit like nomads. So we, we have, you know, 
exercised our treaty rights and uh, and use freedom of movement and being able to build up a business and a livelihood based on these rights. Debbie, tell me about Brexpats here, our voice. We are a pro-European group and uh, we are campaigning for citizens' rights and for the UK to remain in the EU. Our members are across the EU. We're not country-specific. We do have members in Spain, but we have members across the whole of the EU and, in fact, the world. You know, this is where British in Europe is absolutely excellent. I mean, I can't praise the guys enough that um, do the work there. They have um, country-specific groups. Well, we have country-specific groups. So a lot of work can be done by the leaders of those groups who are absolutely excellent. So it all fits in. And as regards Brexpats, um, we, we, we do... We do this hand in hand with British in Europe. So you founded it yourself? I did, yes, the day after the referendum. At the time I was living in, oh goodness, where was I? In Belgium. Um, um, and I knew in the run up that if there was going to be a vote to leave, that there wasn't any, there wouldn't be any particular answers for us because we would have questions as we were living in, as we were living in Europe. Um, that's how I became involved. You know, I started it on Facebook. And the very first thing we did in that first week after the referendum was draw together a list of questions, because uh, I think Mr Cameron resigned, the UK representative to the EU, I think he resigned as well. Um, so we list, we drew up a list of questions and we sent it to everybody, all MEPs, all MPs, all the lo- lords and ladies. And um, we actually got some traction from that letter um, in that very first week. Uh, it, was re- it was read out in the House of Lords. And to be honest, that letter listed the concerns... Um, and to be honest, I wouldn't amend it. I think we covered more or less everything that's been discussed in the citizens' rights part of the withdrawal agreement. So that's how we started. We are a reasonably small group. We're not. We're action focused, so we do lots of action posts and get our members involved, um, writing letters, that sort of thing. And you know, we know, we hope that our members like the group because we we do a bit of a personal touch. So we make sure that we we. Um, talk to our members and we do activities that people can get to know each other, that sort of thing. The daily workload has changed slightly because when I first started it, I, I mean, I'll be honest here, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i an absolute ardent Remainer myself and I knew a little bit about how Europe, work, European Union worked. Um, but in the beginning, what we were doing was um, informing ourselves, really. Um, so we would post um, direct links to parliamentary um, uh, the UK Parliament, uh, legislation sites, uh, news, and the same from the European Union. So we all got to know how the system worked a little bit better. So it's been a big learning curve for all of us, I think. Um, and so what we were doing was promoting the benefits of the European Union, um, and we still do that. Uh, I mean, that's that's fundamentally at the core of what we're about. We did get some... Um, um, I mean, it's, we're not in this to win prizes, but in tw- 2017, we did win the European Citizens Prize. Um, our group, which was the first group to win outside of its host country. So it was quite a unique experience. Uh, and we were very honoured because we were promoting the values of the um, European Union and um, promoting cross-border co- uh, collaboration and cooperation. The EU, the European Union or the European Parliament recognised groups like ours I mean there are other worthy groups but there were groups like ours that were doing things to promote these values these fundamental values um, that we all took for granted Brexpats hear our voice and Euro citizens are just a couple of many groups who have sprung up across Europe since the referendum to campaign for Brits living in the EU but you'd be excused for not having heard about them 
the media, government, and indeed most people in the UK have largely forgotten about British expats, the group who, along with EU citizens living in the UK, stand with the most to lose from Brexit. The problem for a lot of Remain groups and the groups like ours is amplification. We, I mean, we, we, we talk, I mean, we all acknowledge to a point that we are talking to ourselves. We're in this little echo chamber. Occasionally we get a glimmer of light. But to be honest, there's been no sort of consensus. I mean, we, you know, I feel that we've been shut down. Um, but traction is difficult. But we know all the benefits. How do we get everybody else to know? I mean, that is the question when you can't get into the media. I will say, and, and this is a personal observation, though, um, that Remain voices, um, I mean, I don't use leave and remain all the time, but, but the, you know, the Remain voice as well, not just British citizens in, in living in the EU, but the Remain voice in the UK from UK Remainers has not been heard either. I mean, there's no consensus. I mean, absolutely not. We've been asked to compromise, but you can't compromise unless you have consensus and then you have dialogue. If you don't have a dialogue with the other side, then you'll never reach those two those two goals. Um, so you know that you know to heal any divisions has got to be um, you've got to have discussions with people. And if you shut them out, um, you're not going to get anywhere. But of course, we've got a huge percentage of our um, population, um, just like the EU citizens in the UK that can't vote. Sixty um, percent of British, I think it's British in Europe or British abroad. In general, I think it's British in Europe can't vote. They're disenfranchised. So it's really important that those of us that can make sure that we are properly registered. And that's been the main that's been the main message really. The fact that Brits who move abroad lose their vote after 15 years isn't as much of a contentious issue as it probably should be. For a long time, I suppose it didn't really matter. How much do UK domestic policies actually impact the day-to-day -day lives of Brits who don't live there? But Brexit has come along and changed all that. Now, British citizens who will be the most directly affected by it, who have made their lives in the EU for over 15 years, are the ones who are denied a say in it. Just imagine if those 1.2 or so million Brits living in the EU have been able to vote. I don't think it's too speculative to say that the vote margin that Leave won by would have been much closer, or even tipped the other way. It's been really difficult for us to get any traction in the media, and, and when we do, it comes out as a stereotypical Brits in Spain. You know, whenever we get there's an interview, it's all there was put a British pub in, in Benidorm or something, and and you know, to, to, and most 60% of Britons in Spain, which is a, which is the country with the biggest retired population, are working age or younger, and in in Europe, 80% of us are are um, working age or younger. So you know, it's it's um, that's it's, there's a lot of stereotyping, and there's a, the people just you know. Basically, because most of us can't vote, we're actually not very important politically, and that's another of the, of the injustices of, uh, of what's happened. In other, other countries, for example, Spaniards in, in, in abroad can vote in, in elections, and French people even have their own constituencies for, you know, for foreign, foreign residents. And that means that you know, if, you, if you can't vote, you know, you no know representation. Um, you, you really don't matter politically. And... and you know, the, the Votes for Life campaign, because it basically after 15 years we can't vote, and the Votes for Life campaign is, is, is really been going on for ages, but not really getting anywhere.
And Michael, if and when Brexit does happen, what are the different likely outcomes for British people living in Europe? And what are the uh, worst scenarios? Um, so, you know, the, the, it's, it's, there are different scenarios. There's the, the deal is better, is the best of a bad um, hand, really. And then no deal is, 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 is worse. In the case, and the worst, the nightmare scenario, of course, is a no deal with no reciprocity. That's if Britain doesn't behave itself and there's no reciprocity and the Spanish royal decree, which protects people, doesn't come into place. And that means we become bog standard third country nationals, which will be very heavy for a lot of people. Uh, you know, I mean, retired people would be find it, find it very difficult because they need, they need to prove a, an income of 30 something thousand euros a, a year. So, I mean, you know, you, without being alarmist, these are, the, these are the scenarios. At the moment, we think the most likely scenario is a deal, which is, you know, not as bad as the other, as, as other things. But even then, there are, there are, there are ways in which people, people's lives will change. You know, if you lose rights, your life changes. Other things, I mean, you can get into families. The it depends on the diff, on the deal or a no deal. But you know, family reunification. Um, in a deal, you can actually bring over your elderly parent if you want, if you to look after them. Um, but in the, in the situation of a no deal, you can't. And all this sort of stuff is really really important because it, I mean, it can tear families apart. Uh, all, all kinds of things like you know spouses like after the end of the transition period if you want to if you want to marry someone will they have to come over as an as a third country national they're not included they're not protected by the deal and people don't realize you know people don't realize how it can affect them and all kinds of things like you know things like expulsion if you're a non-eu citizen it's much easier for get people to get expelled and stuff from the you know you people don't they, we, everyone takes it takes everything for granted and, and don't, doesn't realise that when that stops, you know, your your right when your rights change, your lives change. You know, as young pe- as a young person, you know, Harry, your the your generation is the is the one that's going to get really knackered by this because you will lose in the even in a deal, you will lose freedom of movement. You won't be able to say, well, actually, I'd like to go and work for a year in Italy or or six months in in Germany or whatever you know you'll lose that ability to 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 go around and and you know develop your life as you have done before and that and that's that that doesn't affect kind of retired people living on the coast who are going to stay in one place but it does affect people you know young people people of you know who who are basically moving around and and people are very mobile these days so that that's one thing the other thing it's going to do is really affect people who work around europe i mean like translators interpreters it guys um cooks all sorts of people who whose work involves working in more than one country and even under a deal that will not be allowed to happen because you know as a non-eu citizen you can't do that so that will, you know, that can actually affect people's 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 work and their their um, you know their 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 future really. Michael's right. Lots of Brits living in the EU who I've spoken to, particularly younger ones, greet the looming Brexit with a bit of a shrug of the shoulders. Maybe it's Brexit fatigue, or the idea that the biggest change we're actually going to have to face is filling in some annoying forms. But I think all that misses a fundamental point. Now, as European citizens, we are part of a continental community with the freedom to choose where we go, to live and work where we want. 
If, after Brexit, I decide I want to pick up sticks and move to another European country as I can now, things will be no way near as easy. Yeah, I mean, you don't just get it from young people. Um, um, you know, you, you get it from, from lots of different sorts of people, you know, the usual, oh, you, it'll be all right, it always is sort of comment. Well, it, you know, it, it's only all right because there are people working in the background doing things, uh, you know, and, and, and raising concerns and, and in discussions and negotiations. And I say to the, to the people that say, oh, you know, we were able to move before we were members of the EU. Yes, but immigration systems have changed since those days. I mean, across the world, across different countries. And, um, you know, freedom of movement is an actual freedom of movement of, of, of workers, of people, is, it, it is innovative and, and it's a benefit. And I mean, you know, you, you can't ignore a benefit. I don't want to go back to work for permits and visas. I mean, there's no guarantee that you're going to get them. Um, so it's a bit of a naive argument, to be honest. Another group for whom the it'll be all right, it always is argument doesn't work is the three million EU citizens living in the UK. The Brexit media circus can be avoided relatively easily on the continent, but if you live in the epicenter of the UK psychodrama, hiding from Brexit is not an option. EU migrants have long been characterized as scroungers by the far right in Britain, and that xenophobia has festered, seeping into more moderate minds to become a key catalyst for the Leave Votes victory in 2016. Just have a look at Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson's rhetoric before the referendum for proof. It's an argument so bigoted and so stupid that I need not refute it at any length here. However, EU citizens living in the UK are looking to counter such dehumanisation, to humanise the Brexit process by telling their stories of what Brexit has already done to them. One project doing just this is called In Limbo. We heard a poem from it earlier. In Limbo is not a book uh, lacking hope. Uh, I always like to say the name uh, comes from uh, uh, Dante, uh, that's the inspiration. And I always like to say uh, that like Dante, uh, you know, he, when he says, in the middle of my life, I found myself in a dark forest, that's our limbo. But, you know, Dante ends uh, his inferno with the verse, and hence we came forth to rebehold the stars. So this is my hope. Uh, that we can rebehold the stars, and this is why we're fighting. My name is Elena. Um, I am um, Italian. I come originally from Milan. I'm an interpreter and a translator, and I moved to the UK with my husband and son in 2005. Um, I started the Limbo Project in March 2017 to give a voice uh, to the five millions who had been forgotten, uh, often in the in the discourse. The reason why I started this project was partly personal. I went through uh, a lot of hurdles to get my British citizenship and that gave me uh, a taste of what other EU citizens were going through. But I also had noticed that a lot of people, uh, mainly EU27 uh, citizens at the time, uh, had started leaving um, their comments on, on social media, on you know maybe commenting articles and expressing their feelings of sadness, of anger, of you know mainly of betrayal 
betrayal after the, the referendum. And I thought that it would have been important to collect these voices to become a, a, a much stronger voice. I thought of um, putting these voices together to turn them into a book which could be sent uh, to um, politicians on both sides of the channel, ambassadors, heads of states, uh, to make them aware of our plight. And this is how uh, the In Limbo project start, uh, started. Um, In Limbo was the first book and it was published in um, June 2017, so a year after the referendum. And then came the collaboration a year afterwards with uh, Brexit Sierra Voice and with um, other groups of uh, British um, living in Europe. And In Limbo 2 was published in June 2018. And what sort of people did you speak to for it? I think um, mainly, um, well, people from all walks of life. Um, we had um, from, you know, housewives to academics to scientists, um, journalists as well. So it, it wasn't uh, particularly difficult to collect these testimonies. It was, you know, a lot of work putting them together. But even then, we decided to leave the voices as raw as we could. We just cut, you know, pieces if the, the testimony was too long, for instance. But, um, but uh, otherwise, you know, the testimonies are, you know, historic sources. We did not touch anything and we left the language with the mistakes because it, it was important also to let people have their own individual voice. I think that the referendum campaign has dehumanized us, had reduced us to, you know, a group of uh, EU migrants. And it was important to hear, you know, that behind every voice that, that there was a person, a story, um, and, you know, give, give this voice back to the people. If you looked at uh, um, even newspapers, articles, it was all how much worth you know, we were what we, you know, and still, you know, there is this discourse, I mean, how much we bring to the country, uh, whether we pay more in taxes or not. And I mean, uh, you know, we know that EU citizens uh, bring in more than, you know, they take out. But to me, that's a risky uh, narrative. Uh, I, I do not consider a mother looking after a son and not earning money less worth than somebody who's, you know, who has a business uh, or mother looking after you know, British in-laws or a handicapped child and you know there's the risk always of considering a good migrant only a person who you know brings money after the um, uh, we, we started with the group uh, we asked uh, more than a thousand people what were the what was the prevalent feeling they had and interestingly and this hasn't changed by the way in three years um, the main word was betrayed and I feel that that was probably how, how people felt. They felt that all of a sudden, you know, our rights had been removed. And, um, and so the, I think the, you know, when, when you read in limbo, you go through, you know, this, you know, different feelings. But, you know, there's, there's a chapter on sadness, one on disappointment, one on worry, one on um, uh, anger and one on betrayal. But betrayal probably is the most prevalent feeling. And... Uh, I think the message you get uh, is is that of of people feeling unsettled, uh, feeling wondering where is home. This is probably the light motive, the main one throughout the book. Uh, people uh, felt at home before the referendum. They never probably even questioned. I never questioned who I was in Britain. I was an EU citizen exercising my treaty rights here, and all of a sudden this question was. Uh, 
um, you know, sprung up because of the of the media and uh, the campaign that you know which had scapegoated us, and and still you know we see this happening every day when EU migrants seem to be or immigration seems to be blamed uh, for everything when we know it's not the main problem and it's not the main issue. And it's been good also to find the solidarity with the British living in, in Europe because, you know, we, we are, you know, the five million, we are together in, 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 in this limbo. And, um, you know, it, it's important, as I was saying, to share our voices, uh, to make our voices heard, to let politicians know, uh, you know, what we are going through. And we've been doing this, you know, since the book was published, you know, trying to reach as many people as possible. We've been you know, to universities, we've been to the European Parliament, we've been everywhere, we've been invited. Uh, I think, you know, this is, uh, we felt voiceless. And, uh, but I think amongst British uh, in Europe, uh, that was even um, a, a feeling which was even more prevalent because, um, especially because of the 15-year rule, you, you know, many of you uh, can't vote now. They haven't been able to vote in the referendum and that must be really, really hard. Um, so um, abandoned, uh, ignored, that's, of course, I mean, I, I, I mentioned the main feelings of, of the testimonies, but, um, you know, there's so many more. And, um, and I think to sum them up is, you know, this feeling, you know, in limbo, which uh, is, uh, it contains everything. And how does all that feel in the context of the upcoming election? Oh, it's a very difficult time. Uh, many EU citizens, uh, um, EU27 citizens here, but I, you know, I think I can speak for, for Brits in, in Europe as well, um, uh, feel again, once again, uh, uh, voiceless, voteless. Uh, few of us have uh, been able to have British citizenship and, you know, we know for, for Brits there's the 15-year rule. So it's, um, it's a very difficult time where, uh, once again, you feel powerless. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we keep on fighting, we try and, uh, and we try also to amplify uh, ev every time, for instance, this anti-immigrant rhetoric comes up, mainly from the government, uh, you know, we, we, we fight back, we respond and we respond through our stories, uh, we respond with, you know, in, in different ways. But it is very, very important to keep on letting that message um, get through because a lot of people have no idea and they they you know they they read the statistics they read maybe an article and they think oh you know uh, immigrants are the problems you know and it, it, it's not simply it's not true the picture before the election next week is pretty bleak polls suggest boris johnson is going to get his majority the Tories sweeping up all the Leave votes and a significant proportion of others who would rather have Brexit than the hard left leader of the opposition in number 10. Corbyn is, however, after a fashion, offering the country a second referendum on Brexit if Labour wins. And if a hung parliament occurs, then smaller parties who defiantly oppose Brexit, like the Lib Dems and the Greens, might have a casting vote. That's why groups like Eurocitizens, Brexpats and In Limbo are urging Remain voters to cast their ballot tactically, looking to support any candidate who might stop the Tories and thus secure a people's vote next year. If you've got anything from what I've just said, it should be the incredible complexity of this election. But what will it all mean for Brits living abroad and EU citizens in the UK? And how will the different potential outcomes affect what happens to us post-Brexit? 
Um, well, it, it's so important because if Mr Johnson and the Conservative Party get their um, a majority, a clear majority, then um, Brexit will happen. Um, uh, how it'll happen and when it'll happen, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I can't guess, but one assumes that it will, would go ahead on the 31st of January um, with a withdrawal agreement. Um, and anyway, if we could break down that majority or even get a different government in, then, you know, then we, we've got a completely different scenario. But I can't second guess this, so I don't think anyone can at this point. Initially, um, when it was announced, um, people were really, really disgruntled and they did start, there was the usual, you know, the tribal politics. <laughs> but everything seems to have calmed down an awful lot now. And um, well, until the manifestos were published, we couldn't do too much about tactile voting, but we're giving uh, our members, for instance, links to um, various tactile voting sites that we recommend um, for them to review. Um, for those in the marginal seats, you know, um, to understand what it means to um, possibly uh, vote tactically. Um, but the registration part of it was, was immense, you know, asking people to make sure that they're registered. Um, and then either, uh, and we were recommending, but you know, it's up to the personal, the, the individual, um, that proxy voting might be better for British citizens living in the EU. I mean, basically, as groups, uh, as as Euro citizens and as British in Europe, we've been encouraging people firstly to register if they can still vote, and secondly, if they if they are registered, if they get registered, to vote using a proxy because. Post postal voting is actually impossible. You know, you're just wasting your vote trying to do that now, particularly at Christmas. So, if people out there can can vote, they they you know they're registered to vote. Do it by a proxy because that that's the only way of getting 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 your vote heard. And then vote tactically in your constituency. Vote for for an MP that is likely to uh, keep us in the European Union and, and retain your rights. How would you characterise the run-up to the election? Well, it's depressing, really, because, I mean, we're not... Firstly, we're not, we can't vote, um, and, you know, we're not, we don't really matter. The, there's, there's nothing about us in the electorate. The, you know, there's hardly anything about us in the, in the, manif in the party, party's manifestos, a couple of references, but... So, we, you know, we really don't matter. We're kind of f forgotten in that case. And it's depressing seeing the country you know, Britain in this situation, I think, and, and most a lot of people feel like that. <coughs> okay, but there are people in, there are Britons in Spain, for example, who are, who are, who are in favour of Brexit, but um, I think, you know, they really do need to think about their, their, how it will affect them personally and how it could affect their lives and the futures and the futures of their children. Because, um, uh, you know, the, the loss of... People think of freedom of movement on very much in a kind of Anglo-centric concept of immigrants coming over to Britain and coming over here and, and actually we're immigrants as well and you know any loss of movement any loss of rights means that you know our lives and our futures will be affected. I apologize if despair has been the theme of this episode that's just the effect of Brexit the most bizarre act of political self-mutilation any modern developed country has ever seen but the way the debate's been framed has meant there's a gaping void of people actually making a positive case for the EU, a lack of arguments highlighting the enormous amount of good that is actually done. So, I asked each interviewee to give us their case for the European Union to end. I'll let them have the final say on that more optimistic note. I very much identify now with being European. 
and the values of being a, a European. A EU membership, I prefer to be part of a union. I prefer to be friends with our neighbours and work together with our neighbours and share information from security to trade. To, but it's much more than that. It, it, for me, it's, it's the integration and learning about different cultures and communities and working together for the greater good. That for me basically is it in a nutshell mobile citizens and all of us who've come to live in, in, in EU countries are mobile and we've exercised our rights, you suddenly realise actually that the EU really does offer people citizens' rights. It really does offer that kind of ability to, to travel, to move, to, to set up, to fall in love in different places, to, to set up a family in different places, to work. And all that kind of stuff is, is actually something we haven't really appreciated because it's there and, and we've just taken for, it for granted and it's something that we'll miss when it goes. The European project is a peace project and it has brought people from every country, sometimes warring nations, together. It has give us, given us prosperity. It has allowed us um, to have freedom of movement, which is the greatest gift I think we, 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 you know, we could have ever hoped for. And we need to keep fighting for this uh, as much as we can. We need to change the narrative, the you know, anti-immigrant stance, uh, this idea that all derives from, from immigration, which isn't true and we need to keep on fighting for you know a better a better country a better future and i'm um, you know i always keep my hopes up that you know we can turn things around that's all for today thanks so much for listening and to michael debbie and elena for telling us about the amazing work they're each doing do head to their facebook pages for euro citizens and brexpats hear our voice and buy both the in limbo books to help support them it's now too late to register to vote in the UK election if you haven't already, but do look out for our reporting on it once the results come through. We'll be back in a couple of weeks just before Christmas with another podcast for you. But until then, join me in keeping your fingers crossed for all of us Brits living in the EU and all EU citizens living in Britain and indeed the UK as a whole ahead of the vote next week. The music is inspired, artefact, and Lightless Dawn, all by Kevin MacLeod and licensed by Creative Commons 2.0.